Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hello and welcome. This is Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor, and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. And today we have Kath. How are you, Kath? Very good, thank you. Lovely to talk to you. Likewise, absolutely. Um, One thing that comes to my mind when I look at your profile is being a medical pioneer. How did you get that? Well, I'm not sure who wrote that down, but (laughs) it sounds quite good. So I think it came from just the way I like to think differently about how we do healthcare. Mm. And sometimes that's been seen as a little bit pioneering or maybe a bit of a threat to the status quo. Mm. And, And where does that come from? Uh, I think potentially from my parents. Both my parents were doctors. My dad, an orthopedic surgeon who was very innovative and creative and always looking for a way around things if there was a problem. And I grew up with that as my environment. So I think it's it's really come from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, you're working in Melbourne at the moment. I've been working at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne for 25 years now wow. and I work with children with leukemia and other life-threatening illnesses and my journey in innovating and thinking a bit differently started when I had young children at home and I was doing procedures on these on children with cancer and finding that they were getting terribly stressed by the whole experience and Back in 1998, I sat down with a group of parents and I said, could we talk through the experience when you have a child with a life-threatening illness? And what are the things in that journey that are the hardest for you and your child and family and what could we do differently to help you through that? It did cause a little bit of fuss and concern, I think, from some of my colleagues who thought that this was going to open the floodgates and the families were going to be demanding things from us that we might not be able to give. In actual fact, what I found was this extraordinary wealth of knowledge that the the families had about the journey and things that us as health professionals actually knew nothing about. We're not walking that journey. It was quite extraordinary to sit with them and just hear what they had to say and the things that they notice about the healthcare system that they can pass by telling us and we can improve it together. I found that really exciting. So together with this group of families, we ended up making a whole lot of changes in how the pain management for the procedures was done and then looking either even further at the whole hospital environment and how harsh and challenging that can be when you come into hospital. So the family said, what about some music that might help to reduce the stress and anxiety for us? 
at the time my children were learning music from professional musicians. So something I quite like to do is bring in expertise from other people who might know more about it than I do. And I spoke to these musicians and said the families are really after some calming and relaxing music in the hospital environment. That started what's now called the Hush Foundation, where we bring musicians and composers into hospital spaces and they then reflect on what they can see and hear and they help by providing the most extraordinary music that is specifically designed for that environment. That's amazing. That's um, from something that um, is really simple, sitting down and listening. It was really simple and quite exciting. And once you do sit down and listen and you connect with the families and in that way, you learn so much. And I think you sort of grow through that as well. What was the biggest so, uh, thing that you learned? I mean, when you sort of sat down and listened to them first time, what was the big like aha moment that you got? Um, one of the things is families can be going through some really extraordinarily bad times and they don't necessarily volunteer it to you. They often think, okay, we've just got to basically suck this up and cope with it. Um, but if you do give them the opportunity to tell you what's really going on for them, that's when you can come up with some solutions and you can make that journey as easy as possible for them. And, you know, resources are available in, in hospitals and in, in these institutions. You know, it's resource-rich. Uh, Yes, but in some ways we think that we're time poor. Mm. So we think that these things are going to cost us too much in time mm. to sit down and listen. Mm. In actual fact, that was, is the best part of my job, just sitting with people, even if you only need a couple of minutes really to make a very special connection with someone and then find out what are the real core things that are bothering them. Sometimes it's really not very much and we can make a big difference. Yeah, I mean, even spending an extra 10 minutes or 20 minutes really, really connecting and, uh, and, 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 and feeling deeply concerned about the situation does make a massive difference in the, in the long term. Yes, and I feel sad when I meet families who might have been in the hospital system for quite some time and nobody's really had that time to connect with them and find out what's going on. You might see um, sometimes people getting upset in hospital. So families where there's an escalation of some sort of a situation, they even end up calling security. It can be a really simple thing that has, like the final straw for that particular person and they explode and often you'll see if they'd been listened to earlier on in that journey and someone had made a really personal human connection with them, that escalating situation may not have needed to happen. Mm -hmm. And you brought a, an important point about bringing experts and bringing professionals in other, uh, other fields. Um, and, you know, music is such a universal language. Yes, and... It was sort of strange to me. I'd had music in my upbringing and my life, and most people have music in their lives at home. You come into hospital and that's 
almost taken away from you. It's not encouraged that you should bring that important part of your life with you into the hospital. So when we've brought composers in, it's been fantastic to have them reflect back to us as the staff what the environment is like. So creative people coming into our hospital space will go, my goodness, this environment is really quite harsh and it's very challenging and there's a cacophony of noise going on in here that we get used to it. We're there every day and we think this is normal, but actually to them they're saying this is way, this is far from normal and we're going to have to think really carefully where in this soundscape the music can sit so that it in fact doesn't make it worse and raise people's anxiety more. So you can turn on, you know, rock music and things in the background that can quite easily raise people's anxiety and just make the situation worse. So the composers have really, um, I have loved listening to them talk about what they hear. I mean, their ears are so finely tuned to what's going on. They can tell you what um, what key the the emergency buzzers are in and things like that. Wow. And they then work carefully to make sure the music is going to sit in a really good place and make people feel more calm. How, how long did they spend doing that? must have been a long time. Um, it varies. We bring different composers in. They have different experiences, whether it's with a group of staff and they sit and sort of brainstorm with the staff or they might workshop with a group of families or they will just stand in a corner and listen. And, and what worked the best in your eyes? Uh, jazz has worked particularly well. Mm. A sort of gentle jazz um, We've now developed quite a, a brief that we give to the composers and musicians about what works and what doesn't work. So things in a major key, obviously, are better. Things that have quite an upbeat, optimistic feel to them. Uh, we have to avoid things that are too fast and frenetic because that can make you feel anxious, mm. but also anything that's a bit too romantic or sad because we're not aiming to push families into any sort of a, a sad place. They've got enough on their plate. We're just aiming to have an environment that is quite calming and relaxing. Mm. Mm. One of the really amazing spin-offs has been it's so good for the staff when the environment's like this too. So that has been really fantastic. And the other thing is the composers and the creative people come in and they'll talk to my team and say, you guys are doing an amazing job. You know, we're just so impressed with what you do for the patients and families, and we'd like to be able, able to help you as well. That can be fairly rare for staff to get that sort of a um, response and then to think, hey, you know, we are appreciated for the hard work that we're doing. Yeah, having that sort of wider community and, and particularly a, a creative community, which, um, you know, has a good reputation out in the community. Mm. They, you know, it, it, it's something that people listen to and, and aspire to and try and copy, really, being, being a creative person. So I felt bringing these creative experts into my healthcare work has been exciting and 
enjoyable, but also really quite therapeutic for me. It's a tough environment. It's, a, it's tough being in a big tertiary hospital and the creative side of things. It's great to be able to bring it into your work. Yeah, yeah, de de definitely. I mean, we'd like to create within the medical structure as well with as much um, creativity as art, but we know that we are confined you know, by our profession and because of the work and the pressures that we go through. But it's a great outlet, isn't it? It's a fantastic outlet. And so to be able to combine them, I've loved that. At first, I think people thought this was a little bit fringy and a little bit not the core business. But in actual fact, now what's been recognized is it's improved the efficiency of what we do in our operating theater um, because the children are calm when they come in, the parents are calm, and the staff are calm. So we're extremely efficient in moving people through because if you're trying to, you know, reduce anxiety and bring down a family that's, you know, on top note, that actually takes a lot more time than if we'd got it right in the first place. So my whole team now knows that we invest in getting to know a family, we get some music ready for them, we have a music therapist in the waiting area as well, and the children just come running down the corridor, they open the door to the theatre themselves, they jump up on the table and they hold the mask and off to sleep. And the whole thing is just beautiful. That's amazing. We've come quite a long way in the last 20 years and the other thing is we've actually found that the care that we're providing is safer. We make fewer mistakes. The team functions so much better. And um, the patients and families say to us, we feel safe and secure when we come. What were the difficulties that you encountered? Uh, there were other staff who were quite threatened by this at the beginning. And they came out quite loudly. They said things like, um, we've done it the same way for 20 years and frankly, we don't like change. You're stirring up the families and making them complain. Now, no family ever complained about the treatment they were getting, but when they were given the chance to speak about it, they actually had this whole list of improvements that we then went on and made. So it ended up being very constructive but in those early days, there was quite a bit of pushback from people who obviously didn't see a problem. And, and, and how did you get through that? Um, the patients and families were a great support. Mm, mm, mm. To have them appreciating the changes and helping with the changes was really fantastic. And they, as a group, were then able to say, no, this is really, you know, major leaps and improvements in working this patient-centred way. And gradually the opposition died away and people would say, look, actually, if it was my grandchild needing this treatment, I can see that this is how I would like it done and how our family would like it done. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's sort of about better patient outcomes. And if you can get them on your side, then... No one can really argue with that. No, that's right. And it makes it quite a joyful experience. Yeah. I wish you could come and see it sometime. 
Yes, I've definitely got to come. Definitely. Uh, Melbourne's just down the road. But yeah, um, I've got a friend in the uh, Gold Coast. So she wants me to come over as well and do a workshop for them. So yeah, de definitely be coming over and um, sampling that, that creativity. And um, I mean, for me, experiencing uh, working in the medical sector, it is pretty black and white and, and pretty cold. And that was something that you just got used to rather than trying to change. Um, change is difficult. Yes. Change is difficult, and the status quo is quite a comfortable place. So once we had the music up and running, I um, started then to think, this has really changed the team that I work in. It's made us, when we've got the music on, the team is more sort of grounded and we're more kind to each other and respectful and the atmosphere in the room is so good. Why is it that in healthcare we seem to have a lot of bullying and bad behaviour amongst staff? And we know that that leads to poorer patient outcomes and we know that it leads to poorer staff satisfaction with their jobs mm. and there's a lot of burnout and all sorts of problems that are coming from how we treat each other. I wanted to try and represent some of these issues in a creative way that we could use to get some conversations going. So I approached a playwright who's now in his 80s, Alan Hopgood, and he's been writing plays for the last 60 years in Australia. And I spoke to Alan about could we have a play that I could – share some of the patient stories and staff stories with you and then we could put this play on about healthcare issues. I sent him all of these stories and he's written a half-hour play that we've now put on in hospitals over 140 times in the last five or six years. The play is a story about a devastating medication error mm. and what you witness in this play is a mother who's trying to get a message across to the staff. She's worried about her daughter. She knows something's not going right. A junior doctor who's written the wrong dose of medication up, a potassium overdose that unfortunately doesn't get picked up because the junior doctor's afraid of her consultant and has been humiliated previously by him, won't speak up, and the young person dies as a result of this. Following the play, which we put on in a tea room or seminar room or auditorium, whatever, we have a discussion with the audience of healthcare staff and patients and families. And this becomes so interesting. Bringing that creative side and the actors into the room somehow unleashes people's um, emotions and they start talking about what's actually going on in their organization or what happened when their mother was sick or when they themselves were sick. Not only their experience as a health professional, but what it was like when they were on the other side. And I think it brings back this sort of shared humanity. We're all in this together. And the dramatic effect of seeing the mother who's so distressed by losing her daughter and knew that something could have been done if people had been listening. It's quite an amazing experience. 
Yeah, I mean, I saw um, a clip, a, a three-minute clip on YouTube um, of um, Hear Me, I think it was called. Yeah. And it, it stirs up a lot of uh, emotion and a lot of your internal dialogue and story that you've experienced, whether it's in healthcare or mm -hmm. as um, a relative. And um, it just makes you think of, of, as you said, the humanity of of this yes. whole uh, work that's involved. And and the best times for me when I'm doing my clinical work is when I switch on my humanity switch rather than yes. my doctoring switch. Yes. It's not something that was encouraged, though, as we were going through our course or as we were junior doctors. In fact, you almost were encouraged to turn that humanity side off so that you could get more work done. Well, I didn't have one, to be honest. I didn't have one when I was studying. You know, it, it, it didn't really... Maybe I did. Maybe I did at the time. But it was slowly um, worn out. You know, that switch was mm. pasted over or, you know, just left there and not sort of used enough. And I had glimpses of it, I remember, sort of working whenever you have glimpses of you know human connection you feel really good it, it you know and time just flies yes and it energizes you for the next thing it's in a way it's contagious <laughs> doing the, the humanity side of it i think does bring you joy and it certainly brings the patient on the other side joy yeah yeah, uh, and it's difficult to sort of keep switching on and off, you know, because you've got to kind of switch on back home when you get back home, but you're sort of too exhausted by them because you've been using different masks and, 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 and different hats and different faces for different roles. Um, Maybe we don't need it to be like that, though. Exactly, yeah. Maybe we should be able to have that humanity and kindness side switched on all the time and we'll have more energy. Yeah. But isn't the argument if it's on, you get drained? I mean, what's the, you know, how do we sort of deal with that issue that can you be kind all the time and still be fine? Yes, I think you can. Mm. I think you'll be more fine if you're kind all the time. Mm. Mm. No, no, you, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. It, it's, it, it's just preconditions and, and way societies are set up that um, condition us to not think that way yes and certainly our training didn't encourage it I don't think now have you approached medical schools about this in, in terms of training medical students and junior doctors in this area yes so we put the hear me play on for the Melbourne University medical students every year and we have done we're coming up our fifth year of doing that so the final year students come back together after all their clinical rotations for one last week before they go off to become junior doctors. And that's when the medical school decided it was best to show the play. The medical student audience is really fascinating because they are already aware of dynamics that are happening to the junior doctors when they get into the hospital system that look to them to be quite damaging and are quite upsetting. So they'll often really be dissecting all of this. How are we going to cope and maintain our humanity 
when we get into a system that is very unforgiving and harsh. And in fact, um, I was leading the discussion after one of the play performances and I said something like, you know, we've now shown this play to eight and a half thousand people and often it comes up that we hold a lot of hope for the next generation of medical students and junior doctors that they will change this culture. And this young lady stood up and she said, give us a break. Your generations have perpetuated this culture for a very long time. You can't expect us to change it because we're going to come into that system and we need your help to change it. We're going to have to do it together. And that was really powerful to hear her sort of naming it and all and saying, we need a, a good reference from the consultant who's bullying us. Mm. So we're not going to speak up unless other, you know, the more senior people are going to stand with us and help us with that. Which which you have done. Yeah, exactly. Which you have done. I mean, we have a similar issue with the education system in Iraq and um, nothing much has changed at all over the last, uh, you know, since the uh, liberation back in 2003. And, you know, they say, oh, you know, the next generation. But it doesn't matter because the next generation look at the seniors and the politicians and the leaders and the people in political power and business power and and, uh, public service. And the change has to be there, the people in power. It's, you know, it's not about grassroots. Yes, there, there has to be a grassroots revolution and movement for them to actually take up this and move it forward. Yes. But it does, it does, it all boils down to us, as in us medics who've been in the system for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the yes. change has to be us, not uh, looking at anyone else. And, um, That's right. you know, having the patients side by side and the patient's family side by side i think that's very powerful and that's something that is um would 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 accelerate this because you know uh, as as you said you know th- this is an emergency rather than something that can be gradually changed because we're losing doctors every day you know to suicide exactly. and and mental health yes. issues and so many doctors leaving the profession and 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 are just mm. literally broken you know um, the humanity is broken and this is happening not... every day well interesting you say that a couple of years ago my concern out of all the feedback we got from the plays was that this culture and the behavior and the bullying was the biggest issue on people's minds so the play brings up other things like open disclosure after errors or you know the actual medication errors etc everybody comes right back down to how we treat each other and that there are some big problems. So the idea came up, we could have some sort of a conference or a you know get together to talk about these problems. What a negative sort of a thing it would be to have a conference on bullying. Yeah. Uh, and I started thinking, what if we flipped the conversation and instead of talking about the bullying, we set that aside, you know, it's there, but we don't have to focus on that. Instead, we could talk about a kind health system and how we might work together to get to that, a much more aspirational and positive sort of objective. I was thinking it's a 
fairly simple concept. Maybe people are going to go, well, you know, that's all been done before. That doesn't work. But there was an appetite for it. So in 2016, a friend and I set up what we called the Gathering of Kindness. We had 100 people from all different walks of life. So we had politicians and government people, patients, families, um, advocates, lawyers, doctors, philosophers, ethicists, you know, all sorts of people in the one tent together all talking about these issues from the positive mindset. And it's really built now into a movement that's going across the world called the Gathering of Kindness. There have been events that have grown out of what we did in that first one in Melbourne that have gone to the UK and to Ireland and right across Australia. I think showing that there's a real need for positive conversations and some tools that can help you build those positive things. Mm, And we were talking about things being contagious. Kindness is absolutely contagious. They can see it on an MRI. When I'm kind to you, it lights up my brain and your brain with those mirror neurons and you're much more likely to go out and do something kind to the next person you meet. One of the things that people have found very empowering about the gathering of kindness is it's something that as an individual you can actually go and do it without anyone giving you permission or any money or you don't need the best CEO in the world at your hospital to be able to do small acts of kindness that improve your team and improve the well-being of the patients and families and the people that you work with. It is powerful and, you know, I keep saying this all the time, the, the most powerful things are the simple things. If it's more complicated, it's a, it's less effective. Just a generalisation. Right. <laughs> yes, but it's harder to grasp if it's, you know, too complicated. And I think we all can go right back to we know what it feels like when somebody does something kind to us. And something that was really fun at the Gathering of Kindness was to have discussions around what is kindness. Now, that might sound really simple, but I, in fact, don't know what's kind for you. Mm. You don't know what's kind for me unless we check in with each other Mm. and come to some understanding of what that means. And we had somebody, um, one of the GPs at the first gathering of kindness, talking about watching somebody in a wheelchair struggling with a big heavy door. And he raced over to help open that door. And the person said to him, no, look, just leave me be. I've got a new wheelchair. I'm trying to work out how to negotiate these sort of things on my own. Mm -hmm. You would have thought the kindest thing was to race over and open the door. You actually don't know till you check in, do you? it's that understanding isn't it and you know this is where Mm. cultures come in different cultures and different languages and different races yeah and we can make assumptions and we can act on what we assume but you do have to take the time to really listen and really get to understand and 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 did you notice that the different cultures in the gathering of kindness that, that that sort of played a part Well, it came back to the real basics once again. Mm -hmm. 
mm. of mm. you can't generalize about any culture or any person mm. that you might meet. Mm. So you may say Canadians are all going to be like this. Well, they're not, are they? Mm. Mm. Every individual Canadian, American, yeah, any just, you know, just like they say that all ophthalmologists have big egos. You know, that's exactly <laughs> all orthopedic surgeons are going to be rude well my father was the most gentle um, kind orthopedic surgeon that you would ever meet he would sit on the end of the bed he knew all about the families so that he could put what he was doing for them in context with their family and what was going to be best for them and and, and what do your mum do she was a GP and worked as dad's surgical assistant wow. as well as looking after us five children but this is back in the day when there was no part-time work really for female doctors and no maternity leave or anything she was one of the first um well in the early group of medical students female medical students so daughter of a pioneer daughter of another pioneer Yes, and Dad was actually an identical twin with a pioneering twin who was the first professor of ophthalmology in Melbourne. Wow, and and, and, and your grandparents, were they pioneers? Well, you know, Australia's full of pioneers, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> Great, and um, so, I mean, we'll, we'll put some details about the gathering of kindness. Um, and how people can uh, connect with you guys. Um, that would be, we've got quite a good website up and running now. I've got volunteers who do amazing things with the website. And we've built a toolkit of things that people can just go in and, and use some of the materials and our little videos and things that you might put on your own gathering of kindness and then tell us what you're doing and we'll be sharing it around the world. We've got a little short clips, you know, 30 to 30 to 45 second clips of people talking about things like, are we too busy to be kind? Mm. Or is that actually the time if you are really under the pump and everything's stressful, you pull out the kindness and the whole team will function better and you'll actually get through in a better way. Yeah, yeah. No, it's amazing. I mean, I I, I remember I was um, on call. It was my, I think it was the first month that I was on call in ophthalmology, and um, we had a guy with an expulsive hemorrhage, which is very rare in ophthalmology. You know, they had a, a cataract surgery, and they came into casualty with a blood clot around their eye, and they had an expulsive hemorrhage, which um, is super rare. And I was panicking. I'd never seen it before. So I called the reg and the reg came in as cool as a cucumber. He literally was as cool as a cucumber. He thanked me so much. And he was so pleased that I called him so early. And he's like, you did a... And I think he spent most of the time being kind to me because he saw that I was quite distressed about it and, yeah. and sort of really... Um, flustered um yeah the patient didn't do well but uh that was uh 
yeah he showed kindness and i never i never forget mm. that and and my enduring memory of him is 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 just that sort of uh um being so 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 kind yeah and and and, and really and yeah yelling at you yeah yeah uh, in another job uh yeah that was the, there was a lot of yelling then mm. a lot of yelling and you know for, for simple things you know he wanted a cardiology review in i was working at great ormond street at the time very stressful job very stressful environment and i think if we brought some music into that environment and some kindness yes. it would have been uh, a totally different environment um, having said that I did work for a consultant there and she was one of the most kindest people I'd ever worked with and it was just great being around her um, but does it come naturally or is it something that you can well we've all got it haven't we it's, it's, I think it's... we've all got it but sometimes we need to just be reminded to bring it to the fore mm. and mm. also that it's not a weakness to show kindness actually can take courage to show kindness and to treat other people with respect when around you that's not happening mm -hmm. uh, what's the best way of of gaining that kindness mm -hmm. when, when you're in that situation i think having it modeled by other people is really helpful mm -hmm. and having it acknowledged so for you to acknowledge to that other ophthalmologist that his kindness made a big difference to how you coped with that really difficult situation. Mm. I mean, I did, well, I did thank him, but I think at the time I wasn't aware of the whole dynamics there. And mm. I think if we were actively taught about this dynamic from an earlier age, I mean, we are really. We are, you know, from from being children and our parents and mm. and it kind of gets, I don't know, hijacked. I mean, I'm very biased towards, you know, because we homeschool our children and and I'm sure some great work goes on in a lot of schools. Um, but there is a lot of conditioning going on that you mm. know, kindness is weakness and kindness won't get you anywhere and kindness won't get you the... Um, high-powered job and the great salary and the great beach house and the Ferrari and yes well I don't agree with that and you're absolutely right I mean when you speak to multi-millionaires and really really rich people and the thing that really set them apart is is their sharing and their kindness and their and their humanity and the way that they care for other people yes and I think that can bring you such joy and bring you such satisfaction in your whole life. Mm -hmm. Because every time you treat other people with kindness, that comes back to you, I'm absolutely certain. Mm. What was the biggest, biggest satisfaction you've had in your life, Kath? I mm, think it could well be my five children. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. My, my mother had seven. And bloody hard work <laughs> it's hard work it's tiring but it pays off and to be role modeling some of these things that are so important to me and my husband Rod and see it 
coming through in the children is just fabulous. So they've been part of my whole Hush Foundation projects since they're very small, you know, packing CDs into boxes and posting them off to people and coming to concerts and handing out programs, etc., and just being in the fabric of everything that I do, um, that's very special. And I think when it comes down to it, your family are such an important part of your life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, when I went through burnout, it was because I had major family issues, you know, major family disruptions and uh, rifts. And it's devastating mm. when that happens. And I can normally boil it down to some things, and it's normally to do with the ego. <laughs> you know, well, that, the bad ego, probably... the bad ego, not the good ego, because there's a good ego as well, which we all have. Yes, but we've all got some of that bad ego, and we need to keep that one under control. Yeah. And I think kindness helps you do that. Because you're not thinking only of yourself, you're thinking of the other person and how the interaction with them is going to be the best it can possibly be. Yeah, yeah. It is about harmonizing and sort of bringing the bad and the good and, and, and finding a wave between the two rather than a balance. I don't like the word balance. I can't do balance. Well, I can't balance anyway. <laughs> I don't think any of us can. <laughs> I can, you know, I can wave, I can sort of work within a, a physiological range, but I can't balance. I'm not good at balancing. So how do you think we cope best with people who are not giving back the kindness or people who are very abrasive at work or who are disrupting a team? I think you've got to understand them. I mean, two things that I work on all the time is understanding and compassion. Mm-hmm. Those are the two major things that I look at um, in their context, in their eyes. Not what I'm thinking, because my conception of their actions is my concept. Mm. So I need to know what their perspective is and their conceptualization of what's going on. Now, that takes a lot of effort on your part in dampening down that negative ego that you have. And... Um, dampening down uh, you can't control it you can't control your ego but you can recognize that your ego is working and that it's mm. putting you in situations which will escalate into problems um, but you've got to sit down and understand with the eyes of yes. compassion and with the eyes of kindness um, so what is it for that other person that's causing them to yeah. react in a way that's inflammatory or yeah destructive yeah i mean they've obviously triggered something in you which you don't like and you see it in them but that's because it's in yourself that's why you're mm. reacting to them in that situation because you know we, we all have vices which we don't like and we recognize that in other people and that triggers us off and that's why we get the conflict um so it is greater self-awareness that's what it boils down to and you know a lot of the work that I do with doctors is about self-awareness and is about self-inspection and looking within, uh, which is why when you do those um, amazing plays, 
we relate to them because it triggers us off inside all these different uh, experiences all these different stories that we've gone through in our lives it instantly triggers us off and it causes an insight within us Mm. yes Uh, we've had a surgeon reflect after one of the plays that she saw the main consultant who was bullying the junior staff she could see herself in that character and it was quite confronting to come up against that but then to be able to think well how is it that if I sometimes behave like that, it hasn't led to serious trouble. It's actually about the team that that person had around them who was able to help de-escalate with them. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as you said, we, 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 we have to be able to talk about these things. And mm. if we don't have that freedom of speech, you know, it's a mockery of our democracy at the end of the day. Yes. You know, it's sort of centered to our societies being, you know, a free society. I mean, you know, I came from a, a, a very non-free society where you were imprisoned and, and tortured and executed. I mean, I had 54 members of my family executed because they had a different point of view, a different religious point of view. So wow. for me, I've always... Um, said my piece but then you know when you're in a system where you lose your job and you lose your reputation and you lose everything else it is very difficult even if you do have the strength and the courage and all these other things you yes. do you know you do get worn down in those situations then you do need a senior to sort of hold your hand and support you yeah, for you through this yeah well i'm very hopeful that we have a real shift coming in healthcare culture because there are so many more people now speaking up about it and saying this isn't suiting any of us. It's not a healthy work environment for us. We can do a lot better. We can have joy and meaning in our work if we're treating each other with kindness, if our organisations are treating the people working in them with kindness and the patients and families are going to benefit enormously. It's a win-win at the end of the day. Yes. It really is. The patients and families have known this long before us. They can pick up on it. They know who treats them with kindness. They know what are the things that really matter to them in the journey. And it's not only the best surgical prowess and the best, you know, technical devices that we might have at our disposal. Mm. It's those moments of kindness from a staff member or from someone else that actually can get them through when they're having a, a terrible time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it, we keep going back to the sort of simple things, but life is simple and we don't need to complicate it any further. We, we really don't. No, let's keep it simple and let's have a motto like, you know, treat other people the way that they would like to be treated. Yeah, yeah. Or or just a gathering of kindness. Yes. <laughs> it's just help us make this the most massive movement that's unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely essential and um, um, definitely encourage everyone to visit, visit the website, register, um, do an event, do workshops, uh, yes. tap into their their natural creativity because 
humans have become who they have become because of their creativity. We create, you know, that is our nature. That's what makes us exactly. so good. You yeah. know, we are beings of creation. We create everything. We even created God, you know, and that's sort of a pretty, you know, pretty, mm -hmm. pretty big deal. <laughs> well, I would love it if people all around the world can start sending in their ideas. What are the things that have really made a, a difference in your workplace? Mm. Mm. So that we can share them. We don't have to be reinventing everything. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of my um, hydraisms is sharing, not comparing. You know, the more we share, you know, yeah. the better burnout disappears. Um, exactly. So we've just named our latest Hush music album Collective Wisdom. Wow. I was doing a radio interview with someone in Melbourne and just talking through some of these issues and she said she really liked the way Hush has really been gathering collective wisdom to do what we do. It's absolutely right. So the album of music we brought out last Friday was we put 12 composers into adolescent health units in hospitals around the country and the composers brainstormed with the adolescents who had chronic illness or mental health problems and they've come up with this extraordinary music that's being played by one of our top um, string orchestras. I need to and get a copy. You've got to get a copy of it. The cover of the album was done by a class of primary school children who all made a little owl and they stuck it on a clothesline. It's the most beautiful thing. All these wise owls that the school children have done epitomizes collective wisdom. It's great. Anyway, it's, it's absolutely beautiful music and it's on iTunes and all of those various things so I need to get a copy and you know we can do something for for each issue or, or each condition or each experience in the hospital outside the hospital um, medical yes. conditions yep. it's, it's 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 bringing that um, that you know what I call subconscious wisdom or subconscious or collective conscious uh, subconsciousness because mm. we all have our own conscious, which we're very much in an intimate relationship with and kind of listen to 24-7. But there is this collective unconsciousness, which which is what kindness is really is. It's sort of tapping into that thing that everyone understands and everyone can tune into, you know, exactly. into that wavelength. Yeah. Um, which can't really be explained, but can be felt quite profoundly. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think we've solved all the world's problems now? Yeah, I, you know, the, the the world's problems are solved very easily, but it's about the doing. Yes. It's about the doing. It's about the action. Mm. And that's the only way things happen is by doing things rather than thinking and saying. Um, and, you know, the human being is a... Uh, uh, a vehicle of movement and action. Mm. And, you know, that's what gets things done. And that's what love's about. I mean, love for me is movement and growth. Yeah. It's sort of that movement and growth in, in the right direction that you want it to be. So, um, yeah, I like using these simple terms. <laughs> I've had enough of complicated pathophysiology and 
I think they beat it out of me in, in medical school. Yes, you're probably right. <laughs> go back to the basics, go back to kindness, and you can't go wrong. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just very happy, actually. That's why I'm kind of just oohing and ahhing because I'm feeling a lot of kindness here. And I'm sure the, uh, the listeners are feeling this kindness as well. And obviously we'll have some lots of links to this and there are going to be a, a deluge of people contacting you, I'm sure. Um, well, I you... like the idea that you get them all to sign up so that we're all in touch. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, you know, now that, um, you know, because we're sort of talking to each other, I don't know, 12,000 miles away, and it feels as though we're literally next door. So, you know, tech technology has moved on amazingly uh, fast and, f you know, and for the good things. I mean, there's lots of really horrible things going out there because of technology. But as you yeah. said, it's, it's, it's looking at the positive. It's sort of looking at the kindness rather than the burnout that I've, I've got a talk actually next week about burnout. So I guess I'll have to change my uh, perspective of things. Change, <laughs> yeah. Change the focus of it and say, yes, burnout exists. Yeah. But what about this joyful yeah. other way of looking at things? It's so fun yeah. as well. It's so fun because I did a talk the other day for a group of GPs about burnout and it was depressing. Yes. You know, they got depressed. I got depressed. Mm. I mean, you know, we came out of it. I, I, I did a mass hypnosis. I sort of hypnotized the whole group of GPs, which was fun. And they came out much happier. But yeah, it's sort of let's start from positive, staying positive. And... Let's talk about the acts of kindness that have made a positive difference. And you'll yeah. forget about some of the negative. Yeah. I mean, I follow this guy. He's um, He's a big entrepreneur on social media, American chap. And, you know, he goes, there's a lot of negativity out in, out there in the world. You know, there's 99% of people talking about the negativity. And that's why I just talk about the positivity all the time. I have negativity. I have problems. I have depression. I have mental health illness. I have other illnesses. I have family issues. No one, no one wants to hear about that. So I just put out the positivity because they think you're a bit, you know, cuckoo talking about all this stuff you know you must be woo woo you must be this and that but no we, we all have our own problems and our own concerns and ailments and pain but um putting out the positive is actually i mean you know we've got you know the current issue with dr um bao garba and yes the trouble that she's been going through and there's a lot of negative issues around the whole topic mm. and i just got really down because i'm not like that I'm norm yeah. normally a very positive guy, and I looked within, and yeah, I was—I sort of—I was sucked in, in into the uh, into the negativity of things. Um, whereas, if our focus goes towards what brings us up, what makes us better, what cr makes us create, I think it makes right. a massive difference. Absolutely, yeah. Bring back the joy. Yeah, I'd love to, yeah, working in medicine and being joyful. Yes. So I now work in a team that is joyful every single day. <laughs> we, they might send us too many patients that could not possibly fit on the list. We huddle in the morning and we say, okay, how are we going to collectively get through this day? 
with a smile on our face. And it works every single time. Super, super duper. I, I think we're coming towards the, I mean, we'd, we'd, we'd love to talk more. Um, uh, I mean, what are, yeah, I shouldn't go back to the difficulty because I was, I was going to ask about the difficulties that um, you still encounter today. And I think it's just, you know, people no. are, are, are still in that quagmire. Yes, some people are a little bit slower on the uptake. Of but the it's kindness. all been positive. But I think, yeah, more and more people are being empowered by the message mm. that you can do something about this yourself. You do not need to wait for permission. You don't need your seniors to necessarily take this on board themselves. Mm. Mm. That's a great thing. It's very easy to get disempowered and go, well, it's all terrible mm. and I can't make the situation any better you can every one of us can because kindness is so easy for each of us mm-hmm. cool excellent excellent um we've come towards the end of our whistle stop tour um through i mean you've you've done so much work it's sort of absolutely amazing and it's been um an honor to speak to you and um, I can see this going on from strength to strength. So um, I'm sure we'll come back to this again, and we'll have gathering of kindness in London soon. Absolutely, I think that's something Excellent. that um, we can work Leave on. That. Great, I'll come. Yes, definitely. Um, there's 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 a question I ask at the end for all of my guests, and the question is, what's the naughtiest thing you've ever done, Kath? Oh. oh, I'm not much of a rule breaker. I worry about breaking rules. But probably the naughtiest thing was actually setting up this group of parents that I could talk to. <laughs> that was seen as quite subversive. That's pretty naughty. Yeah, yeah. Naughty Kath, absolutely. Yeah. You shouldn't have done yeah. that. <laughs> oh. Great. And look well, where it's led. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You're in big trouble. Uh, <laughs> great. Thank you so much, Kath. Um, it's been a great pleasure. And uh, see you soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Surgical Spirit podcast. For all the latest in the world of Surgical Spirit, don't forget to follow on Twitter at The Third Eye Doc. And catch me on Facebook at the page The Third Eye Doctor. You can visit the website at www.thethirdeyedoctor.co.uk for more information on the work that I do. And please send us feedback and questions and suggestions for the podcast. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. I've been Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, and I'll see you next time.